This is Pastor Eric. Thanks so much for checking out our Life Church podcast. We pray that it's a blessing to you. For more information about Life Church, check us out at lifechurchutah.com. I want to talk with you today about what it means to love God with all of your heart. A, uh, a Pharisee once came to Jesus and asked, asked Jesus what Jesus believed to be the most important, the most dynamic commandment. And it wasn't really, if you know the story, it wasn't an honest question. He was trying to trap Jesus into something. But Jesus responded by giving him this answer, Matthew 22, 37, 38. You must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And that's what I want us to focus on today is, is uh, living close to the heart of God by learning to love God with all of our heart, our mind, and all of our soul. Now, I think that this is the greatest commandment because if you learn to love God with all of your heart and your, your soul, you will never have to worry about your relationship with God. I know that some of us from time to time, we, we've, we worry about our connection with God, our relationship with God. And it is true that from time to time, we can all fall into a kind of a, an apathetic relationship with the Lord. Maybe that's not the right word, but a, 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 a relationship with God where the, the fire, the flame goes down to a flicker. We've been there probably most all of us in our relationship with God. But what Jesus is teaching us here, why this is the greatest commandment, is because really, if even during those times when we don't feel white hot for God, if we will if we will love him with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our strength and all of our might and all of our mind and we just give it all to Jesus, God will work us through those down emotional times and will strengthen us and, and give us the ability to overcome and we never have to worry about our relationship with God again. Now, 1 John chapter 4, verse 18 says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear. And so when we move from a fear-based relationship with God to a love-based relationship with God, we move into a relationship where we, we have uh, a sense of, of stability and of strength in that relationship. But I was reading over in Psalm 111, verse 10, that says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So you have these two scriptures. First John 4 says, there's no fear in love. Perfect love drives out all fear. And then Psalm 111 says, but the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so I thought to myself, well, which is it? Are we supposed to fear the Lord? Or are we supposed to love the Lord, which drives out fear? What is it that God's trying to say? And as I meditated on that, I began to understand something that I think is important for all of us to understand. We need to understand that fearing the Lord may be the beginning of wisdom, but it is not the end of wisdom. Fearing God might be the, the, the initial response of our acceptance of him as creator, him as greater than we are, but God wants us to move beyond that into what we might call a loved-based relationship with him. Now, I realize that a lot of us, including myself, came to Christ originally because of our understanding of eternal judgment. 
I understood that if I stayed away from God, that one day I was going to stand before him and I was going to hear words similar to these, depart from me, I never knew you, you know, into outer darkness. Jesus talks about that. And so I realized that eternal judgment was real. I realized that hell was real. And my fear of that was a great motivator to pushing me towards accepting Christ as my Savior. But I needed to move beyond fear because where there is fear, there is no freedom. Where there is fear, there is no depth of relationship. I needed to have more than a fear of God. I needed to have a love for God as well. It is critical that you and I move from a fear-based relationship. That might be the beginning of wisdom, but God wants to take you way beyond that. He wants to take you into a relationship where you are motivated now out of your love for God, not out of your fear of what might happen if, if you're not in right relationship with God. Does that make sense? And you'll know that that has happened in your life when you start serving God, not based on God's going to get mad at me if I don't pray or God's going to get mad at me if I don't read his word. Uh, you, you switch from that kind of thinking to a, a thinking that says, I love God so much I want to know him. I want to know his heart. I want to know what he thinks. I want to know what he loves. I want to love the things that God loves. And so you start moving that direction and you're now reading God's word to understand him, to know him because you love him. You're spending time in prayer because you need him and you love him. And so your motivation is different now. Maybe at one time it was fear, but now it's become that of love. And then our love for God will dictate what we choose to do and what we choose not to do with our lives. Because you love God, there will be certain things that you will avoid, that you'll stay away from, that you'll say no to. And there will be certain things that you'll say absolutely yes to because you love God. Those choices are based on now your love for God. Now this brings me to the story of one of Judah's greatest kings. His name was King Josiah. There were, there were 20 kings in Judah's history, and of those 20, only eight were what the Bible called good. I'll give you the eight. Asa, Jehoshaphat, Joash, Amaziah, Uzziah, Jotham, Hezekiah, and Josiah. Now, Josiah, though, stands out from all of the rest. In fact, even the prophet Jeremiah himself used Josiah as an example, and he said to the rest of the kings of Judah, live up to his example. Live like he lived. And he was talking about this man, Josiah. This is what Jeremiah said in chapter 22, verses 15 and 16. Why did Josiah reign so long? Because he was just and fair in all of his dealings. That is why God blessed him. He saw to it that justice and help were given the poor and the needy, and all went well for him. This is how a man lives close to God. And because of that, Josiah reigned over Judah for 31 years. God blessed him and used him to bring great spiritual revival to the people of Judah. So I want us to look at Josiah's life today because even though he lived thousands of years ago, what happened in his life and decisions he made are 
very applicable to our lives today in helping us to understand how to love God with all of our heart and our mind and our soul. In fact, we see characteristics out of Josiah's life of people who really do love God that way. It's not just what they say, it's the decisions they make and what they do with their life. The first quality I see in Josiah is this. He sought to know God's truth. He wanted to know the truth of the Lord. Now let's be, let's be honest. Sometimes truth will lift you up. Sometimes truth will encourage you. Jesus himself said, you'll know the truth and the truth will do what? Set you free. We all know that scripture. That's a powerful scripture, a powerful truth about truth. Truth does that for us. But sometimes it sets us free by challenging us, by getting us to cut away from some things that were putting us in bondage. So truth can sometimes challenge. Truth can sometimes rebuke. Truth can sometimes convict and truth sometimes lifts up and encourages. All of it's encouraged, all of it's good because it leads us to greater freedom. When you know truth, it sets you free. The one thing about Josiah's life that impressed me was here was a man who wanted to know the truth. Now, I don't know how it happened in Judah's history, but by the time that Josiah became king over Judah, God's law had been lost. Now, I don't mean that the people just weren't following it. I mean the very document itself. The law of God had been misplaced. It had been lost. They didn't know where it was. That'd be kind of like me as a pastor not having a Bible or even knowing where to find one. That's exactly what it was like for them. It was lost. They didn't even know where to find it. Fortunately enough, uh, oral tradition had been passed down generation to generation, so Josiah knew that he desperately needed to get the people back to God. So the first thing that he did was order that the temple, which had come under disrepair and neglect, be restored again, be rebuilt again, the, that, that it be, in, that it be uh, remodeled again, so to speak, and, and, and a not really, but a paint job be given to it. And, and, you know what I'm saying? That they, that they would renew their love for God by renewing their commitment to the temple and that it be restored. And it was in the process of this restoration of the temple that a discovery was made in one of the rooms. Second Chronicles 34, 14 tells us, while they were bringing out money that had been taken into the temple of the Lord. Hilkiah the priest found the book of the law that the Lord had been, that the Lord had been given through uh, Moses. So the book of the law had been given and they finally found it back in this, in this uh, back room. And then verse 18 says, then Saphan the secretary informed the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book and Saphan read from it in the presence of the king. You know, I, I will give you my opinion of what makes a nation weak, what makes a church weak, what makes people weak. Weakness comes to us when we lose our hunger for, our understanding of, and our commitment to the Word of God. And I know that might sound simplistic to you, 
the word of God has so much power to it to change the way you think, to change the values that you hold dear to your heart. When a nation walks away from the word of God, that nation and the principles of the word, that nation begins to weaken. When a church that, that may proclaim Jesus Christ on the side of its building or, or in the songs that it sings, but that church no longer embraces the true word of God, that church begins to weaken. When an individual no longer sees the word of God as important in their life personally, and they can take it or leave it, that person, that Christian begins to weaken spiritually. And I know many of us think that we, we know the word of God, and, and some of us, we, we do know some of it accurately, but if you don't pursue God's word to know it fully, you will be weak in your faith when a crisis comes. And I see that all the time in people. They, they come to me and say, oh, I'm going through a crisis. And listen, it's not that people shouldn't come to spiritual leadership when they're going through a crisis. I go to spiritual leadership when I'm going through a crisis. What I'm saying is some people come sometimes with their faith so shaken, I wonder do they spend any time in God's word standing and, and implying the principles and standing on those principles in their life. We see compromise in faith all over the world. When you talk with missionaries, Carrie and I have traveled in many parts of the world, we see that this, has, this happening where professing Christians have this, this faith mixture, a little bit of Christian principles and, and the word of God, uh, Christian truth blended with a lot of pagan thinking and pagan culture. And the result is what the Apostle Paul talked about, a form of godliness, but no power to it. And that's a danger to every single one of us, not just around the world, but to us, all of us. We, can, we can't mix some of God with some of the world and expect to have strong faith when a crisis comes. If you want to have strong faith, you build your life on the word of God. You get into the word of God. Josiah teaches us that if you love God with all of your heart, one way that will manifest itself in your life is a passion to know God, a passion to know truth, a passion to live by the truth and to put it into practice in your life. So it's not just enough for us to come to church on a Sunday and, and praise God with other believers. If that doesn't affect the way we live our lives when we walk out of the doors of this place, if that doesn't affect the choices that we make, then what we have is a weakening faith within us. It doesn't matter what society says is acceptable. We live in a culture today that has, that has diminished the value of biblical principles and values. And it doesn't matter what our pop culture says is acceptable. If God says something is a sin, then the person who truly loves God with all their heart, their soul, their strength will conform their life to what God says is right, not to what society says is acceptable. 
or the Supreme Court says is acceptable. Because just because something is legal does not make it acceptable to God. And, and we need to understand that there is a rule of conduct that's placed upon us when we claim that we love God. Now, Judah, when you go back in her history, was a mess at the time that Josiah became king because they had ignored and even lost the word of God. They couldn't find it. And they were living on principles that seemed right to them, not on what God actually said. And because of that, the favor of God was lifting on off of them and judgment was right at the doorstep. If you want to please God, if you want his blessings and his favor upon your life and family, if, if you want to know how to love God with all of your heart, it starts right here. The word of God must take preeminence in your life. And you must base your life on what it says. Now, the second thing I see in Josiah, which demonstrates uh, a person who loves God with all their heart and soul, is putting love into action. Josiah was a man who didn't just talk it, he did it. Now, for Josiah, he led the nation in the celebration of the Passover feast for the first time in years. Now, for those of you who know your Bible, you know that the Passover was to have been celebrated every year, once a year, every year. Judah hadn't practiced the Passover, hadn't celebrated the Passover in so long, they almost forgot what it was and what it stood for. It stood for their deliverance out of Egypt. God wanted them to remember what he had delivered them from, what it cost to get them into freedom. And they were to celebrate this every year, but they hadn't done that for so many years they had let it go. So Josiah said, after uh, committing to restore the temple, we have got to celebrate now the Passover. And chapter 35 talks about that. And it was such an outstanding celebration unto the Lord that verse 18 says, never since the time of the prophet Samuel had there been such a Passover. None of the kings of Israel had ever kept a Passover as Josiah did, involving all the priests and the Levites, all the people of Jerusalem, and people from all over Judah and Israel. In other words, what, this is so impressive to me because we're talking about, it says here that none of the kings before him had ever celebrated the Passover, had ever led the people to celebrate the Passover, as did Josiah. We're talking about guys like David. We're talking about guys like Solomon had never uh, led the, the, the nation into the kind of celebration that they enjoyed, that they had under Josiah. Josiah put his words of love into action by leading the people in an act of public worship that had been neglected for years and years. So how do you put your love words for God into action? What do you do about what you, what you sang this morning in praise? What do you do about what you declare uh, 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 as to your love for God? Well, the Bible gives us some specific ways we are to demonstrate our love for God. For one thing, if you've given your heart and your life to Jesus and he is your savior, you need to be baptized in water. Baptized in water. That's the Bible way to tell Jesus that you love him. You say, well, I tell people that I love Jesus. That's wonderful. Do that. But you must be baptized in water. It's not, it doesn't save you. It's a public testimony of your faith in Christ. And Jesus said, you are to be water baptized. I, that's not from me. 
It's not from our church. It's from Jesus. He's the one who said that. How do you tell Jesus you love him? One of the ways you do that is you're baptized in water. If you've never been baptized in water, the next time we offer a water baptismal service, you sign right up. And boy, when you get in that tank and get ready to get baptized, you say in your heart and in your soul, Jesus, I am doing this because I love you. I am scared to death to be in front of all these people, but I'm doing this because I love you today. And I want to declare it with all of my heart. Well, another way that you tell Jesus that you love him is through your praise, your praise to God. At Life Church, we take time to sing our praise to God every week. Now, praising God isn't just something that you do at church. You do it every day of your, of your life. But, you know, uh, praising God through song is a powerful witness to the Lord. And as you lift him up, the Bible says he inhabits the praises of his people Folks, if that's true, if you need a touch from God in your life, I want to encourage you to be a person who praises God. Maybe you had a, a terrible week. Maybe you got a lousy doctor's report. Maybe you got laid off. Maybe you lost your job. I don't know what the situation might have been. But instead of coming in saying, well, I'm here, come in and lift your hands up to God and say, Lord, I'm going to give you the praise in spite of my week. I'm going to tell you that I love you with all of my heart. Hallelujah. Now, we're going to practice here for just a minute, all right? So, I want, if you'll do this with me, uh, raise one of your hands at least, all right? I'm not going to look around and see if anybody's refusing to do it, you know? Just raise one of your hands. All right, now say, praise the Lord. All right, now you've done it. Okay, so you see, you can, you can do this. Some of you are saying, I'm too shy. You just did it. You raised your hand and you said, praise the Lord. That's, you know, so when we come together to worship the Lord, raise your hand and praise the Lord. Well, what will other people think? They'll think it's cool. That's what they'll think. You'll inspire their faith. That's what will, what will happen. This is one of the ways we tell God that we love him. Okay, here's another one. The giving of your tithe. It's an act of love to God. Certainly trust, but it's an act of love. You should give your money to God as an act of worship. Don't give to the church. Give through the church to God. Give to God through the church. I had a woman come up to me uh, years ago when uh, a different church that we were at. And she said to me, Pastor, I want you to know I've, I've given a lot of money to this church. I said, really? Well, how much have you given? She said, well, I don't even know. I've given so much money to this church. And she was a wonderful lady, uh, but I, I used it as a teaching moment. And, and I said to her, you gave how much? Said, well, I'd have to look it up and find out. And I said, well, you go find out because when you find out how much you gave to the church, we're going to write you a check and give it all back to you. She was stunned. She couldn't believe I said that, and I would have done it. And that was then, not now. Uh, no. <laughs> I don't want anybody coming up to me. Now. No, no, I'm, I'm kidding. And I meant it, and I said, because you see, you don't give to the church, you give to God. Now, this is more than semantics, folks. If you give to the church, you get a church's reward. If you give to God, you get God's reward. And the church can do this. God can do this, okay? Give to Jesus. Give to the Lord. Give in celebration unto him. Give in love unto him. Because he's the one who can bless you. 
He's the one that's with you 24-7. I'm sorry, we're on call, but we're not with you 24-7. He's with you 24-7. In fact, Jesus is working and moving when you're sleeping. Hallelujah. When we slumber, and he never slumbers. When we sleep, he never sleeps. He's at work when you don't even know he's at work. He's moving. Hallelujah. He's working the angles for you. He's opening the doors. He's getting ready for things to happen. He's the one that can bless you. He can open the doors of advancement. He can bring the, the doors, open the doors of promotion for your life. He can give you the job that you need. He can cause your business to prosper. He's the one who can heal your sickness or heal your disease. We at the church are limited. We love you, but we can only do so much. But he is not limited. Give to him out of love and he will pour back his goodness and his blessings back in your life. That's why the apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9, he says, remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. That makes sense, right? I threw a dozen seed out there. I'm expecting thousands of plants. Well, think again. It ain't going to happen. You got to put thousands of seed out there if you want thousands of plants. But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much of a crop you want. I'm paraphrasing a little bit. You must decide in your heart how much to give because you're deciding how much of a crop that you want. And don't give reluctantly. All right, here it is. God knows I need it more. But here it is. And don't give uh, under pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. There are two thoughts, two principles on giving that jump out of that particular scripture to me. The first one would be summed up in the word measure. We reap in measure to what we sow. You sow a little, you get a little. You sow a lot, you give a lot. Measure. So the world teaches us that we gain by keeping, by hoarding. If you want more, you keep. God says we gain by giving away. That doesn't make any sense. How can you get more by giving? Because the Lord of the harvest is going to bless you. So a little over a year ago, we invited the, the Teen Challenge Center out in the Tuella area. They're in Urda actually now, but... Uh, in the Tuella area out there, we invited them to come over and we said, we have a gift for you. And they came over and they were in desperate need of a, of a new van, a 15-passenger van. And some of you were here a year ago and you remember that Sunday. And we just shocked them to death when we said, we've got a, a new van. I wasn't brand new. It was a used one, but it only had a few miles on it. And we had only owned it like three months. But our, our leadership team met together and we all said, and I don't just mean the pastors, I'm talking about our deacons and all, we all met together and we said, you know what, we need to, we need to bless that ministry. They're in desperate need and we, we have a van sitting out here that we paid cash for and we're going to just give that to them. And so they showed up here and we handed them the keys to what was a, a relatively new 15-passenger Ford van and they're driving it today, using it for ministry, touching lives, getting girls out of addiction, getting girls out of out of prostitution getting girls out of situations that's destroying them and and we didn't even have we in fact we still don't have a 15 passenger van we gave it away but you know what god has blessed us over and over every need we've had has been met because we've been generous we have been given by god to from god because we have given away and that's the principle here every gift we give becomes seed for a new crop 
crop of blessing when you, when you need it the most. And so you say, well, God hasn't been faithful to me. Well, have you been faithful to him? It's your faithfulness in giving, so he gives back to you in measure to what you give to his work. So keep this in mind. You do not give to Life Church. You give to God. You give to God in worship to God with a cheerful heart, which kind of brings me to the second thought. I would use the word motive. We reap as we sow with right motives. So what you give is important, but how you give is equally important. God says in the last part of that verse that it's not on the screen anymore, but it was up there, says he, he loves a cheerful giver. Now, the truth is, when you give, when you, when you give in a kiosk or online or, or here at the church or whatever, we don't know what your attitude or your motive is. We have no idea. We don't know your heart. I read years ago in a church bulletin, a little phrase that said, the Lord loves a cheerful giver, but he also accepteth from a grouch. <laughs> and I don't know if that's true or not, but the truth is we, we don't know anyone's heart and how they're giving, you know. But what I think Paul is saying here is that if you are thankful and grateful and cheerful in your giving, it sets, you, it sets you up for greater blessings and greater favor of God upon your finances. When you make it an act of worship, not an act of I have to do this, but I, an act of I get to give to God's kingdom, I get to, it's, a, it's another way I show Jesus I love him. It's by my tithe, hallelujah. Now, another way that we tell God that we love him is through our choices to avoid anything that saddens God's heart. God's heart. It, it's called obedience. Because really, giving in to temptation is, is nothing more than us saying that I love the thing I'm being tempted with more than I love God. I know God doesn't want me to do it, but I love this. I love what this does for me more than I love God. That's why Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, obey me, obey my commandments. You can't separate your love for God from the choices that you make with your life. And then the Lord goes on to say through the apostle James that our faith must produce good works. James chapter two, verse 17 says, so, so you see faith by itself isn't enough unless it produces good deeds it is dead and it is useless. So we learn from this that another way that you tell God that you love him is by serving and ministry. Coming to church is important, but serving God's people through the power of the Spirit, incredibly important. And this is serious because if your faith is dead and, and it's useless and you hit a crisis, you won't have the power to overcome at that moment. You've got to put your internal love for God into external expression through service and love for him. And every first Sunday of the month, so there's a class going on right now, it's called our connection class. And we offer that in our, in our um, conference room. You can attend that class and it'll tell you how to get involved in areas of ministry and service where God can use you. And you see, a person who loves God with all their heart doesn't just attend church, they serve. Amen. They give. Thank you. Thank you, the one. 
I'm greatly encouraged here this morning, Sid. But I knew it was in your heart. I knew it was out there in your heart. You just had trouble getting past your lips. Yeah, just say it. All right, third, telling God you love him involves taking continual spiritual inventory. Verse 18 says, safe and read from the book of the law of Moses, and this is what happened. Second Chronicles 34, verse 19. When the king heard the words of the law, he tore his robes. Wow. Why, why would he tear his robes? It was a sign of humility and repentance. He realized how far Judah had drifted from God and from their love for God. And it broke his heart. I don't know what portion of the law that the king read, but if he read from the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy, Josiah would have heard the conditions of God's covenant with Israel. And those conditions would have outlined what Israel's responsibilities would have been in the relationship and what God's blessings would have been upon them if they followed his law and if they lived by those responsibilities and what judgments and curses would happen if they failed to do so. I think Josiah would probably nearly fainted when he heard what God said would happen to the nation if they walked away from God and didn't repent. I've said it many times before, I'll say it again this morning. And it's very important that you understand this. You have the right to make any choice with your life that you want. Any choice. You can do anything that you're humanly capable of doing. You have the choice to do that with your life. It, it's, it's the gift of God. It's called free will. Each of us can choose to do whatever we want with our life. But this is what you got to understand. You do not have the right to choose the consequences of that choice. The consequences will come whether you like them or not. Whether you like them or not. I saw a commercial the other day where they played an old 60s song. And in the song it said something to the effect of just live for today, don't worry about tomorrow. And I thought about the words to that song as, as I heard watched the commercial. And I thought about the old rockers that, that lived by the philosophy of that song back in the 60s and what's happened to them since. And I thought to myself, most of those guys and gals who lived by that philosophy back then regret today what they did. Now, some of you, you weren't a star in the music field or anything, but you know what I'm talking about because you made some of those same stupid choices back then. You lived for today and don't worry about tomorrow. Well, tomorrow has finally showed up and the consequences of what you chose back then, you're living with them now. Diseases, handicaps, tore up families and marriages, all kinds of things that, that come down the line that don't go away just because you gave your heart to Jesus. You still live with some of that. And so you know, you know what I'm talking about here when I say you don't have a right to choose the consequences that come with the choices you make. Those are gonna come whether you want them to come or not. 
because they are directly linked to the moral character of God. And we need to understand that as we're making choices. Now, the consequences for Judah were very severe. A foreign nation was knocking on the door. That is to say they were, they were on the threshold of destroying Judah. And that certainly motivated Josiah to get things back right with God. And when he did that and led the people in repentance, God responded by holding off Babylon for a season until Josiah died. And it was after Josiah's time that Babylon did conquer Israel and Judah. So Josiah, though, as they're coming under the possibility of, of this foreign invasion, he, he leads Israel, or it leads Judah in a spiritual inventory. And this led to some powerful changes. I'm, I'm going to give them to you quickly. First of all, they cleanse the land of paganism and the worship of false gods. And they returned to worshiping the Lord only. Okay. Secondly, they started repairing the temple. We've talked about that. Thirdly, they read and submitted to God's word. Well, they finally found it. And they read it. And they submitted to it. Fourth, they made a covenant with the Lord to walk in obedience to him. So not just to hear the word, but to actually do what it says, which the book of James says is really important. Fifth, they reformed the land by not only tearing down the false idols, but by burning any paraphernalia, any of the stuff of paganism. They burned it out in the garbage heap. It's called the Kidron Valley, just outside of town. They piled it up and they burned it to ashes. Anything that even remotely symbolized their, their former commitment to, to paganism. And then sixthly, they celebrated the Passover for the first time in many years. And all this happened because Josiah did a spiritual inventory based on what he heard from the word of God. So I just want to close this morning by asking you this question. What kind of a spiritual inventory do you do with your heart when you hear the word of God? When the word of God challenges you, what kind of response do you give to it? Are you defensive? You know, if the pastor preaches something strong, do you kind of duck and say, well, I'm going to let it hit the people behind me. I don't want it to hit me. Hit them. We become defensive. Well, if you knew my circumstances, you wouldn't, you know, because we can all justify ourselves. We can all justify ourselves and our decisions. Do you become apathetic towards it? Oh, whatever, whatever. Or do you receive the word repentantly if it challenges you, if it rebukes you? Do you repent? Say, God, I don't want that in my life. I, as I was thinking about that, I, I thought of Psalm 139 where David says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you. Do you have the courage to pray that kind of prayer today? God, is there anything in my life? Well, I know that I'm not supposed to be bitter about what that person did, but God, they hurt me so bad. 
Instead of being that way, say, Lord, I don't want to be bitter anymore. I want to let it go. This is Pastor Eric. Thanks so much for checking out our Life Church podcast. We pray that it's a blessing to you. For more information about Life Church, check us out at lifechurchutah.com.